So my friends, let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. So as a church community, we are in the final stages of getting ready for one of our biggest, most anticipated weeks of the year, and that is Vacation Bible School. This year's VBS theme is entitled Weird Animals, where Jesus' love is one of a kind. In anticipation of this week, Lisa Adams, our Director of Children's and Family Ministries, has been basing her Sunday School lessons on animals of the Bible. So I figured it might be cool if we did the same, by basing our worship service around the same scripture Lisa is using right now in Sunday School with the kids. And that is, of course, Daniel in the lion's den. So for the past few weeks, as she was going through her faith and mental health series, Pastor Kelly, in the midst of her sermons, did a really good job in giving us all practical tools that we could put into practice for ourselves and others. So today, I would like to do the same for you all based on the subject of my sermon. And the tools that I am going to give you may actually save your life. Are you ready? So, here is what you are supposed to do if you ever come face to face with a mountain lion. I know today's scripture is not about Daniel in the mountain lion's den, but we don't have lions in the wild here in the United States, so teaching you what to do when you come in contact with a lion would just be plain silly. But we do have mountain lions, so listen up. As someone who loves to hike and backpack, I have found an amazing resource on tips and how-tos from a video blogger by the name of Dixie, whose real name is Jessica Mills, but her trail name is Dixie. It is common in the backpacking world that you are given a trail name based on an aspect of you and your character. For instance, I was given the trail name of Dangles because I typically hike with all sorts of things dangling from my backpack. I usually keep clipped on the outside of my pack my coffee cup, my Crocs shoes, a pack towel, and two years ago on a trip, I had Vacation Jesus dangling from the outside of my pack as well. Hence the name Dangles. Dixie got her name because she is a beautiful blonde from Alabama and speaks with a thick southern drawl. She's part southern belle and part hardcore adventurer. And she has quite the following on YouTube in regards to all things backpacking. So naturally, I turned to her when I was looking for information on mountain lion safety. And since Dixie has literally hiked thousands of miles, and had an encounter with a mountain lion herself, I believe her advice to be sound. So here is what you do. First thing, when you come across a mountain lion, do not try to run away. It's natural instinct, of course, and an instinct held by most of the animal kingdom, thus making you exactly like the rest of the prey this mountain lion thinks you are. 
Secondly, if you can, hike in groups because according to Dixie to a mountain lion, that makes you look less like lunch. Next, make noise. Talk to the cat, clap, yell, bang on something, whatever. Get as big as you can. Spread out your arms and your legs and never crouch down. Always maintain eye contact. Unlike having an encounter with a bear, with a large cat, you want to stare them down. Dixie also says to do your best to be intimidating whatever that means. Also, once the cat has left your presence, the fun is not quite over because there is a chance that it could still be stalking you. So make sure you keep looking over your shoulder. And finally, don't panic. Yeah, right. So there you go. Some useful, practical advice for you to keep in your back pocket as you head out these doors after church into the wilds of Livonia. <laughs> now, if you have spent any time in the church as a child, I highly doubt that you escaped Sunday school without having learned about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And regardless of whether you heard this story for the first time 50 years ago or perhaps even 10 minutes ago, like all scripture, our understanding of its meanings and the messages it conveys changes over time, largely depending on our own intellectual development as well as the lens of our lives through which we see and interpret the world around us. And I believe that to be one of the most awesome things about the Word of God, that it's not stagnant and one-dimensional, but rather living and complex. I am one of those who heard this story as a child, but upon reading it and studying it again this week, the story has taken on a new meaning for me, and it has invoked a variety of questions. First of all, let's take a look at how Daniel got into this predicament in the first place. Daniel is an Israelite who is currently living in Babylon as part of the Jewish diaspora. You see, Israel and Jerusalem had been captured by the Babylonians, and the Jews were exiled from their homeland and taken into captivity in Babylon, and Daniel was one of them. Now, Babylon was a polytheistic nation, worshipping all sorts of man-made gods and believed men to be gods as well. Yet the Israelites were monotheistic in their practices and beliefs, worshiping the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. As you can imagine, this caused quite a few issues and got some of the Jews into trouble, Daniel, of course, being one of them. It's possible that you also remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of Daniel's friends who ended up being thrown into the fiery furnace because of their unwillingness to worship anything or anyone but God. Now Daniel was a prophet and an interpreter of dreams, and he distinguished himself in this way after being able to interpret dreams and unusual happenings in the lives of the kings who ruled Babylon. Thus, he became a trusted advisor of the monarchy. 
Under the reign of King Darius, he appointed 120 satraps, which is a fancy word for a provincial governor. Then he appointed three administrators to be overseers of these 120 provincial governors, of whom Daniel was one. And Daniel so distinguished himself among these leaders with his exceptional qualities that the king set him over the whole kingdom. And guess what? These other guys just didn't like that very much. More than likely, because he was a foreigner. He was an outsider. He wasn't one of them. So they attempted to dig up dirt on Daniel. They wanted to find a reason to get him removed from office. Quite simply, they were just jealous. But guess what? They couldn't find anything for which they could produce charges against him. They could find no corruption or negligence in him, for he was trustworthy and a man of sincere character. I would argue that Daniel was a good and righteous man because he was a worshiper of the one true God. Thus, all of his actions as a leader and as a person reflected the character and nature of God himself. So, they had to come at him another way. And knowing that he was a foreigner, they decided to exploit his faith. And here is how it was portrayed in scripture. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So let the scheming begin. The scriptures go on to tell us that these men next went to King Darius with a proposal a proposal that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that says that anyone caught praying to any god or man in the next 30 days other than King Darius himself would be thrown into the lion's den. And these guys told the king that all of the government officials had agreed to this edict. Clearly a lie. Clearly Daniel had no idea about this. Nor did the king know Daniel was out of the loop. So the decree was made, and it was written into a law in a way that could not be repealed. But of course, no law or decree was going to thwart Daniel from worshiping God. He was not afraid of threats or the potential consequences, so he continued to worship, and he prayed three times a day on his knees, giving thanks to God just as he had always done. And this, of course, is exactly what the other guys had wanted him to do. And clearly they had expected him to do this. Hence their scheme to get him out of the picture. So they knew that not even the threat of death would stop him. So this should speak volumes of Daniel. It speaks volumes because clearly Others knew his sold-out devotion to God was so strong, and they knew this was the only way they were going to get to him. And get him, they did. So upon this discovery of Daniel breaking the law, the schemers go back to the king, and without giving him any context, said, hey, king, didn't you publish a law that says no one can worship anything but you for 30 days? That's right, the king said, and it can't be changed. Well, said the schemers, 
Your buddy Daniel pays no attention to you, O king. So guess what? You have to follow through with your decree. This sort of reminds me of, of a scene among siblings, right? One sibling catching another doing something that mom or dad said not to do, and then telling on them. And of course, the king or mom or dad need to ensure the integrity of the authority of their word so they have no choice but to follow through with the punishment. So not only did the schemers scheme Daniel, but they schemed against the king, too. And that was a pretty bold move. The scriptures tell us the king was very distressed by the news and was determined to save Daniel and made every effort to do so before sundown. Now, we have no idea what those efforts were, for the scriptures do not say. But alas, the king gave the order to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den, just as his decree had stated he would, would be the punishment of anyone caught breaking it. And the king's parting words to Daniel could almost be read as a prayer. As he said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And with that, a stone was placed over the entrance to the lion's den, and Daniel was left to his own devices and his own fate. And the king himself spent a long, sleepless night. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, and upon arrival called out to Daniel in a distressed voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now we know the answer to the king's question, but let's pause here for a moment and make a few observations. Clearly, the king believed in the possibility of a miracle. He apparently held on to a shred of hope that Daniel was all right, hence his rush to the den and his act of calling out to Daniel. Next, I am fascinated by the way in which the king addresses God by calling him, addresses the, by calling God the one true living God. So it stands to wonder what truths about God did King Darius really know? And once again, we hear the king addressing Daniel as someone who continually serves God. That was such an important, tangible aspect to Daniel's character that that was how he was addressed by the most powerful man in the land. Perhaps that is something that we all can strive for. When someone says your name, they also address you as someone who continually serves God. Gretchen, you who continually serves God. God, you who continually serves God. Dan, you who continually serves God. Now, we have very little to go by when it comes to what happens in the lion's den. All we know is that Daniel said, My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. And that all sounds pretty neat and tidy and simple, 
doesn't it? Perhaps at a glance it sounds as if Daniel actually had a peaceful, restful, relaxing night surrounded by lions with God's angel hanging out with him. But I'm not so sure that that was the case. If the walls of the lion's den could talk, what would they say? I can't help but wonder if the night found Daniel ridden with anxiety and fear. I imagine him crouched in a corner, praying to God with every breath of his being to keep the lions at bay. I would imagine the lions being restless with this intruder in their midst. I picture them pacing back and forth before Daniel sniffing the air every so often, trying to decide what to do with this piece of flesh before them. I can see Daniel jumping with fright at every muscle twitch or sound made by the giant cats. So I'm not so sure that it was all so neat and tidy after all. I'm not so sure that Daniel wasn't still filled with fear and terror in spite of knowing and trusting God as intimately as he did, because that is simply human nature. If those walls could talk. We know the result of his night in the pit, but we do not know the process. And the same can be said of anyone that we have ever known who has found themselves in the midst of a metaphorical lion's den and have come out on the other side seemingly unscathed. They may show no signs of any physical scars, but more than likely there are mental and emotional scars that cannot be seen unless purposely revealed. More than likely, you know what I'm talking about as there is a very, very good chance you have been in your own lion's den yourselves. More than likely, you have found yourself stuck in a pit with the predators of life prowling around at your feet, and you are wondering, how in the world are you going to survive this? You can name that pit can't you? I can name some pits for myself. I have a feeling we all can name pits of times of darkness and hopelessness and fear and desperately waiting for the dawn of a new day. Yet it is also my hope and prayer that when we recognize those lion's dens that we have been in ourselves, on the other side, we can see how God's angels shut the lion's mouths and have led us into a new day. And we may not always recognize in the moment the angel God has sent to shut the lion's mouth. And that's okay. But it's important to recognize the ways in which God does indeed rescue and save and share that with others. Because if these walls could talk, if these walls of the pit of despair could talk, what would they say? They would speak 
of the countless ways in which God rescues and saves. And they would speak of the person who believed into God's truths and who trusted in the midst of adversity. And if you are still there, if you currently find yourself in the lion's den, have no fear, because you serve a God who shuts the mouths of lions. And your time in this pit is only temporary, though I know that when you are in the midst of it, it feels like it will never end. But you are not alone, because surely God is with you, as surely God was with Daniel. At the conclusion of this story, we learn that King Darius issued another decree stating that people in every part of his kingdom must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Daniel's display of faith in the midst of adversity was so powerful to those who witnessed it, namely the king, that a whole nation's understanding of God was altered. Take a moment and think about people in your life who have been a witness to you and who have inspired you to greater faith simply because of their actions. And now, take a moment and pray to yourselves and ask God to grant you the ability to influence others in faith simply by your actions and deeds as well. And have no fear, my friends, because we serve a God who shuts the mouths of lions and who has the ability to keep us safe from the predators of life that continue to prowl at our feet. Trust that he will send his angels to attend to you when you need it most. And may we all be like King Darius, who is so inspired by the faiths of others that we as well become greater servants of the living God. And may we all be like Daniel, who in spite of any dangers or threats, will continue to worship and serve God at all costs, so that we may have the distinct honor of being referred to as someone who serves God continually. May it be so.